Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice... Hey, Buddy, guess what? What? (laughs) (laughs) This is my episode now. It is? (laughs) That's right. This is my episode. I pitched it, I wrote it, and we are going to talk about what I want to talk about today. Alice, this is so unexpected and uh, not at all something that we planned, uh, nor something that is here on the outline that you have provided for the episode. Uh, It's a 100% completely unexpected event where you have sort of hijacked an otherwise mundane experience it really reminds me of a of a theme park like ride plot right like right oh something's yeah we're just going wrong yeah we're here for the very exciting and and yet yet normal episode of of those happy places when suddenly psych it's me alice white here <laughs> to here to take over and talk about my pet topic something that i have recently discovered I have a, a a series of pretty strong feelings about. And I haven't taken over an episode in a while. This is usually a collaborative <laughs> effort. But today, <laughs> today I'm asking a very important question. And the question is, what's the deal with SeaWorld? That is a good question. I, I thought so. Uh, and, and and I know it's like a little bit crass and kind of like in the in the format of like a 90s stand-up routine. Like, what's the deal with SeaWorld? But like, <laughs> honestly, Alice, SeaWorld barely features on this show. We do not usually talk about it because frankly, it was not one of the core theme parks that we experienced a lot. Uh, either nostalgically or even recently, right? Like, right. it's just not something that we're doing often. And yet SeaWorld has always kind of been there, lurking in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. So we talk on the show quite a lot about Disney parks. Um, we talk a lot about Knott's Berry Farm specifically, but like Cedar Fair in general. We talk about Universal Studios all the time. We've even given Six Flags a a good hearty mention now and then. Um, But I don't think we have ever talked about SeaWorld or their their sister theme parks, uh, Bush Gardens. Um, I've never been to a Bush Gardens personally, and I haven't been to a SeaWorld since I was probably 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, So they just don't really come up for us very often. Yeah, you know, part of that is location. Um, Like I said, SeaWorld was always kind of there lurking in the background because there is a SeaWorld in San Diego and we were local to Disneyland. So it wasn't out of the question to go and visit. It was just kind of a proposition. Like you actually had to like get in the car and drive for a while. Yeah. It wasn't down the road. Yeah, San Diego is about a two hour drive from where we grew up near Anaheim. So it really was like if you were going to go to SeaWorld, you had to make like a weekend trip out of it or at least the longest day trip ever (laughs) (laughs) and to my memory i don't think like i was so impressed by sea world that it was something that i would ask to go to often like it was kind of a special one or two time event and then it was kind of allowed to fade into the background like that right we had just we had theme parks just so close to us all the time that to drive an extra couple hours to go visit a theme park that didn't even really have any rides at it, kind of not our jam growing up. 
Yeah. So I, I mean, Disneyland is world class and international destination, kind of you know the original theme park in its own sort of way. SeaWorld just couldn't compete at the distance. Right. So we're here to change that, though, a little bit. Um, at least as far as those happy places goes, we're going to talk about SeaWorld for a while. We'll have a, this entire episode dedicated just to SeaWorld. I will mostly be talking about the Orlando location, but even though the San Diego location was the only one that we have visited, um, and it's our local park, um, a lot of the events that take place um over the course of this episode, historical events that I'll be talking about take place in Orlando. Um, uh, but San Diego was the original SeaWorld. And uh, so we, you know, we'll be mentioning that every once in a while. And they, there's also a San Antonio location um, that I didn't know about really until, until doing the research for this episode. Um, and that's the thing. SeaWorld is kind of, under the radar, uh, mysterious, especially to us. And I know there are a lot of Florida people who listen to this podcast who might be thinking like, oh, what do you mean? I mean, SeaWorld is it's one of the big ones around here. And we'll get into that, actually. Uh, it's it's surprising how SeaWorld seems like not a big deal to us and is kind of thriving in Orlando. That right. That is something that will come up. Yes, absolutely. Um, but before we start... Um, we're going to get into some kind of delicate conversations as we talk about SeaWorld. Um, you might have already guessed this uh, if you've been reading the news in the last decade or so. You might know some of these delicate conversations that are going to come up. We will be talking about some tragic events that have taken place at SeaWorld. We'll be talking a lot about um, animal rights. We'll be talking about, um, you know, the the orca whales that are in captivity there. Um, and so we just wanted to say before we started, um, we do we do support animal rights and animal rights groups and their very, very valid criticisms around SeaWorld. Um, we will be mentioning these things, but the discussion we're going to have today is mainly around SeaWorld as like a competitor in the theme park world um, and as like a themed experience. Um, we won't be going into a lot of detail about the animal rights issues here um but we know that they're a big concern for a lot of people and so we ask that if you're listening to this and you want to do your own research into ocean conservation efforts and animal rights groups we ask that you do your research and really look into finding some good ones and finding like good organizations that do work um with animals and like ocean um you know, environments and stuff like that. We're we're particularly fond of the Aquarium of the Pacific in our hometown of Long Beach, California. Um, they do a ton of really good work um, around uh, not just like conservation, but like sustainability and um, a lot of like water research and 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 of course animal rehabilitation and and stuff like that. So, you know, consider if you like a donation or at least some research into you know, ocean conservation. We, yeah. uh, we appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, like anytime that nature or animals become the attraction, there is this question of how to do so responsibly and in a way that actively aids research and conservation efforts. Uh, speaking of aquariums that we really love, 
I was recently introduced to the Monterey Bay Aquarium all over again, and Monterey Bay is world-class, fantastic. You know, they're the only aquarium to ever have a great white shark in captivity. That's amazing. Yeah, they were only able to keep it in captivity for about six months because it was growing, and they decided, okay, this great white shark that we barely managed to get in a tank in the first place needs to go back to the ocean. Um, yes, so of course. For a very brief amount of time, they had a great white shark. You could see it in their deep sea tank, and I believe it was injured in some way and needed to recover. When that was all over, of course, and the shark was getting too big and restless, they let it go. And for me, that sounds very responsible, very scientifically minded. And of course, as a result of having the shark in captivity, they were able to increase our understanding of this incredible species. Uh, and they just went out into the world and, you know, studied actual great whites. So I think that's really cool. And that's the sort of thing that I'm a huge fan of. Of course, animal rights should be at the forefront of when animals are the attraction. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is not the podcast about animal rights, um, but we will be mentioning some things and some controversies and so this is a delicate conversation um we ask you know um that if this is a difficult conversation to hear you know you can uh, we please invite you to um maybe return to the next episode um uh, but uh, we we will mostly be talking about the SeaWorld as a company um but i we know that this is difficult for for some people so um uh let's um get started yeah, with all of that out of the way, let's uh, jump in. So, Alice, you have uh, taken over the episode. You've uh, <laughs> given us the you know required safety message as we begin, and I'm feeling a bit like uh, the Simpsons on Sideshow Bob's roller coaster, uh, kind of locked in here, thinking like, what's going to happen next? Uh, but I trust you. I know that we're in for a good ride. So. What is this all about? Like, why are we even talking about SeaWorld? <laughs> all right. So I wanted to talk about SeaWorld. Um, this idea came to me a few months ago. Um, and I, I wrote down um, a note in my phone one day while I was just, just making my way through the world. And suddenly it kind of hit me um, that the question I wanted to ask was um, to anybody who likes theme parks or maybe more casually enjoys theme parks, not, not, not super fans. Uh, but if you were to say, like, hey, name, like, your top three or top five, like, theme parks or even theme park companies. Like, like what are going to be those for you? Um, and I I can kind of guess what your answers would, would be, you know, Disneyland being, you know, Forefront, Universal, um, Knott's Berry Farm being a favorite of ours. So Cedar Point in general, you might throw Six Flags in there as, like, a preeminent coaster park. Um, and then... Maybe in fifth place, you might not go right to SeaWorld. I, I, SeaWorld is it, SeaWorld and Bush Gardens being that fifth place park, or not in not breaching anybody's top five at all, um, is what I is where this conversation started for me. Um, in my head, I was trying to sort like who are who are the top five you know theme park makers of the world being a casual fan and not like um not collecting those statistics in my head um and i realized that i don't think we talk about SeaWorld. i don't see theme park people talking about SeaWorld. i don't see SeaWorld coming up on twitter in like discussion spaces 
Um, and I was trying to figure out why and why they have three locations, soon to be four locations, when I don't feel like anybody ever goes there. Um, and so I wanted to do research. Why SeaWorld? What's the deal with SeaWorld? And before I started coming up with this outline and the full text of the episode, I wrote a thesis statement, kind of a hypothesis almost, really, um, which uh, I will read verbatim. This is what I wrote down when I started. Okay. I wrote, people like animals, especially cute and intelligent ones, and want to believe that places like SeaWorld are inherently good. But despite the great success of the SeaWorld parks, they can't seem to rise up to the same reputation levels as Disney or Universal, possibly because of past controversies. I mean, that's a solid guess. You know, like, what's the deal with SeaWorld? Is it a zoo? Is it a uh, is it a theme park? Is it an amusement park? You know, is it coaster Isn't it? focused? Isn't right. it? Uh, what's going on? And also, is it a major theme park player? Yes. Is it one of the big five, if you will? Yes. Um, Does it belong on people's list of best or most important theme parks? Um, and if so, how? Right. <laughs> like, and, how did then, it get there? And then, like, if not, is it because of the controversies about which we are most aware, um, perhaps most specifically and most uh, most infamously, uh, the controversies detailed in the documentary film Blackfish? Right. Um, and about Blackfish, before we get started, <laughs> um, the... I will get into Blackfish with some detail, but I wanted to, to lead with anything that we say, anything that, that was covered in the documentary film Blackfish, um, anything that I infer from my research around it, um, I'm going to put a big old allegedly <laughs> around a lot of this. Um, I am going according to my own research um, and anything that may or may not have happened in SeaWorld um, is alleged. And um, and I don't want to be legally responsible for making assumptions. Um, so this is this is another disclaimer <laughs> at the top of the episode um, because I I don't know what went down on these on these days. I don't I was not involved in the making of the documentary film. I have not spoken to anybody. Um, about the film that was involved with the film or with the incidences, um, you know, detailed within. So anything that I have found is um, allegedly. <laughs> well, Alice, actually, in a in a effort to remain completely neutral on the subject, we have avoided watching the documentary film titled Blackfish and instead <laughs> just like read articles and tried to figure out exactly what was going on. It's tr it's true. <laughs> yes. Here, disclaimer again uh, yes i have not sat down to watch blackfish i have a hard time watching things that i know are going to make me cry <laughs> before i even start them um i took uh i decided for my own sanity to not watch blackfish however i did read um a couple times read through a few times the uh, article that the documentary is based off of i did a lot of reading about the events um, I decided reading them was safer than watching them um, for me. So 
yes, that 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 should be the end of the disclaimers. Then I think <laughs> <laughs> we can actually get into some stuff now. <laughs> and for my part, I have stayed totally ignorant on this entire subject in preparation for you hijacking the episode. Oh, since 2013, when the documentary came out, <laughs> right? Came yeah, out. I was thinking, you know what? Someday Alice is going to say we need to do a podcast about this. I hadn't even like conceptualized those happy places. I just knew that this was coming. And so I just said, I'm going to stop learning about SeaWorld now so that Alice can explain it to me, listen and provide very minimal commentary. And then, you know, hopefully we'll come to some kind of interesting conclusion. I love it. A total blank slate for me to bounce some of these ideas off of. (laughs) Exactly. I'm very impressionable. So whatever you tell me, I'm going to take as truth. Great. Wonderful. (laughs) Well, let's start from the beginning. In the beginning, there was nothing. In the and beginning, then there, there was, was SeaWorld. And then there was SeaWorld. Uh, so uh, SeaWorld opened March 21st, 1964. Which is really early. It's way older than I thought it was. I did not realize SeaWorld had been around so long. Yeah, it's it's hard to conceptualize SeaWorld coming around less than a decade after Disneyland. Right? Yeah. So SeaWorld opens in their first location, which is in San Diego. They are now headquartered in Orlando, but their first location was in San Diego. It was originally pitched as an underwater restaurant. Um, The idea was that you would eat uh, in like a dome underwater and watch the sea life around you. You know, Um, I've heard that idea on a podcast upon which I guested uh, (laughs) Amusement Sparks. Uh, In fact, it was on the episode that I recorded with Andrew, the host of that podcast you should all go listen to that yeah um i love the idea of an underwater restaurant i feel like people have been trying to pull it off for like a really long time Um, everybody loves the idea of an underwater restaurant it's brilliant it is we need one actually (laughs) (laughs) um so that was the original idea and it was scrapped in favor of a more traditional like theme park slash zoo um structure Uh, You walk around, you look at the animals, um, and it has morphed and changed and grown over time. But that was kind of where it started. They opened their second location in Aurora, Ohio, uh, and then one in Orlando and then one in San Antonio. And those are both still open. But the Ohio location was sold to Six Flags and then bought by Cedar Fair. Um, So that location has has changed hands a couple times. And it officially closed in 2007. So there is no SeaWorld Ohio anymore. There is just the three locations at the moment. They are expecting to build a fourth location in Abu Dhabi, um, which is expected to finish uh, construction later in 2022. So just later this year, theoretically opening in 2023, possibly. There's uh, not a lot of information about that at the moment. Not a lot of uh, out there information. I think they got a little sidelined during covid um, but we'll, I guess we'll see if SeaWorld opens a fourth location. Um, and here's something I didn't know <laughs> about SeaWorld until I did this research. Um, I didn't realize that SeaWorld and uh, Bush Gardens were run by the same company now. Um, I think they started doing that in uh, 1989 or so. Um, and But they changed the name to SeaWorld Entertainment in the mid 2000s. So the SeaWorld is the name of the company that owns both SeaWorld and Bush Gardens. Um, and they also have um, uh, Sesame Place and Discovery Cove. Uh, so they have a couple of other like smaller individual theme parks um, in other parts of the country. That's fascinating uh, as, as far as a condensed history goes. Um, I will admit 
that this is the first that I have heard of the Aurora, Ohio location. And it will be the last that I ever hear of the Aurora, <laughs> Ohio location. Not just because it is now closed into oblivion, but also how did it, <laughs> no. how did it change hands so many times? That's wild. Yeah. So obvi- obviously they had some struggles there. Um, I do know that Ohio is uh, is home to a couple of the most or at least one of the most fantastic zoos that I've ever been to in my life. I went to a zoo in um, Columbus that was so fabulous and so open and inter- and like a little interactive. Um, and it, it honestly, it rivaled San Diego for me uh, as far as like best zoos I've ever seen. Wow. So maybe there was just too many animal parks in Ohio that they that um, SeaWorld just didn't win. That's I don't what know. it sounds like. It sounds like they were beat out by more legitimate zoo competitors. <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, and so now they have um, now this company, SeaWorld Entertainment, that has um, some of the, you know, some of the best performing theme parks in their area. Uh, SeaWorld does, in San Diego pretty much doesn't have any San Diego competition other than the Wild Animal Park. Oh, Legoland, um, of course, but oh, that's not really a, uh, a, a, a an animal park of any kind. No, it's also it's it's outside of San Diego, I think. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little, a little outside. Um, and also, you know, the only animals they have at Legoland are are Lego animals, uh, which yes. have a completely different biology. And so, but um, Sea World Sea World would then be the only theme park in the San Diego area that even has uh, like coasters at all. Um, there's there's no roller coasters at the Wild Animal Park, as far as I know. Um, and, uh, they also have bush gardens in Tampa and Williamsburg. Both, uh, theme parks are also kind of, um, kind of outstanding in their, in their areas. Um, the only, uh, theme park competitor in Williamsburg, as far as I know, is Colonial Williamsburg, which famously does not have coasters (laughs) as they were not invented. Um, so, so it kind of seems like they have, um, found like a little like niche for themselves that's um you know pretty good theme parks in areas that don't have other theme parks um which is kind of cool uh now alice i'm looking at your outline here and i'm surprised by a piece of information that you've provided which is that according to usa today SeaWorld orlando won the number one award for best theme park in 2022 it's true. Which so is the gen- current year as we the, record this podcast. The current year as we record this podcast, USA Today uh, had a poll. It was a, it was a poll. Um, this was not based on any kind of scientific research. But ac- according to readers of USA Today, SeaWorld Orlando is their favorite theme park, the best theme park. Um, and Icebreaker, which is their brand new launch coaster at SeaWorld Orlando, um, won the number one award for best new attraction in that same poll. Um, I can't believe it. I know. Uh, in in a year where the competition was stuff like, even just in Orlando, Velocicoaster at Universal Islands of Adventure. Like, how does SeaWorld somehow get to the top of that? I um, I I couldn't I could not tell you. <laughs> and this is Orlando we're talking about. I mean, they're surrounded by world-class global destinations. And SeaWorld is at the top of USA Today's polls. Uh, like you said it is polls, so maybe SeaWorld fans are just very passionate. 
think about SeaWorld? Only ones that read USA Today, I think. USA fans, <laughs> uh, USA Today readers and SeaWorld fans are a circle of a Venn diagram. It's yes, true. That's true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they did launch uh, a brand new coaster this year. Best new attraction. It's a, a, a launch. It's got like four launches, apparently. It goes backwards and forwards. Um, it, it's apparently a, a great coaster. Between the three um, SeaWorld locations, they say they have uh, 47 attractions. There's a couple of like good roller coasters and then other smaller attractions in all three SeaWorld locations, uh, in addition to their animal exhibits and experiences. So these theme parks have kind of sprung up um, kind of under our noses and and suddenly have a series of like legitimate draws as far as like attraction goes. This isn't just about animals anymore. They are really doing a full theme park experience at all three locations. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to push back on sprung up under our noses just a little bit because they've been in the game since 64. <laughs> like, yes, this you're, is this you're is right. a longstanding franchise of theme parks that has undergone transformations over that time. But somehow they have this longevity as well as this kind of like newfound success. Right. Right. And that's that's the thesis statement. We're trying to figure <laughs> out how <laughs> we're trying to figure out how. And when I say sprung up under our noses, I literally mean your nose and mine um, <laughs> is that we just didn't notice that that here comes SeaWorld. Um, and I guess now here is where we start talking about SeaWorld. And when we talk about the attractions that they have in the park, I guess next comes um the conversation about controversies um, yeah i mean when you think about sea world there is one core attraction that is almost synonymous with the name of the parks yes yes the core attraction the um number one imagery that they have used in their advertising for the last 50 years that they've been around um, is the uh, any attraction that features their captive orca population. Right. Um, so the uh, the orca whales, the, the killer whales, as they are occasionally called, um, are the biggest attraction, the biggest attraction, the most famous attraction in SeaWorld. They might literally um, be the biggest attraction in terms of animals. They're big, they're big whales. Enormous whales. Um, several tons of power and beauty. And they're, I mean, they're beautiful creatures. Um, and they, SeaWorld has uh, come under fire for many years now um, for keeping such large, magnificent creatures in relatively small tanks. And this is where... Um, this is where we start talking about the documentary Blackfish, which came out in 2013. Um, buddy, what do you know about what do you know about the documentary Blackfish? If 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 before we started this conversation today, if like two days ago somebody had asked you, what do you know about the documentary Blackfish? What would you have said? I would say that in the year 2013, I stopped learning about SeaWorld so that this podcast episode could exist. <laughs> You didn't know uh, anything about Blackfish then. But but in all honesty, uh, of course I heard about Blackfish when Blackfish came out, right? So 
I heard that there was this documentary that SeaWorld is evil and has been evil for a long time, (laughs) that tragedies have befallen the people who have worked with the orcas, and also the orcas are miserable. I also heard that this would be the end of SeaWorld, or at least the end of the orcas as an attraction. And upon hearing all of that, I kind of shrugged and said, like, that makes sense. Uh, probably shouldn't have whales in captivity like that. It sounds like it's been pretty dangerous. Uh, maybe it's a thing that people should stop doing. And then I completely disengaged from the conversation. Uh, I think I heard a couple of times since then that they did stop, but I think you're going to tell me more about that. I am going to tell you more about that. Um, So if you had asked me a couple of days ago what I thought that the Blackfish uh, film was about, I would have said, is it about how the orcas are mistreated and they're in tiny little cages? Um, And that answer is yes, that is what it's about. Um, I did not know that actually the, the focus of the film is about one orca specifically um, named Tilikum, um, who was involved in the deaths of three people um, while in captivity at um, at SeaWorld Parks. Um, it's also about the mistreated and mishandled animals and how the pens are too small. And there's not enough stimulation for these um, for these creatures. Orcas like specifically are too smart and too active for captivity seems to be the conclusion Um, And there's an allegation throughout um, that uh, that SeaWorld or at least sea parks um, have been illegally capturing whales well into like the 1980s um, before the government started cracking down really hard on on capturing whales. And so the the allegations involve capturing um, baby whales and separating them from their parents and then raising them in captivity to be performers. And so specifically talking about this one male orca um, who um, uh, who was involved in the death of um, most famously a trainer who worked at uh, SeaWorld. Her name was Dawn Brancho. Um, She was a a passionate animal fan. She was a a gifted orca trainer and her death was an absolute tragedy um, and generally believed to be really more of an accident than anything else. Um, That the, that you just never really understand wild animals and how they work. And um, the, the other, other incidences that have, that have happened that causes death and injury among, uh, around killer whales involve people slipping and falling into tanks um, around whales that haven't been trained properly um, or um, unfamiliar stimuli in the tanks causing the whales to act out in unpredictable manners. Um, and so... SeaWorld had a response to all of so the the documentary comes out in 2013 it's an it's a smash success um surprising success because it's it's a documentary and they don't usually make a ton of money um but it was coming out right around the same time that uh Netflix was really hitting a huge boom um and suddenly everybody had access to these documentaries that they might normally have seen might normally not have seen Um, because documentaries don't really make their way to most movie theaters. Um, So Netflix is coming out. All of a sudden, everybody uh, knows everything about this documentary. It becomes like the big breakout hit of 2013. Um, 
and suddenly uh, people start dropping out of events that SeaWorld is sponsoring. Um, a series of bands and musical artists dropped out of uh, like summer concerts that were supposed to be held on SeaWorld properties. Um, it, people start boycotting SeaWorld, protesting SeaWorld. Um, I seem to remember a story of Steve-O from Jackass um, doing like graffiti on the 405 freeway on the way down to San Diego about how the whales are being mistreated and trying to tell people to not go. Do you remember that? He was arrested. <laughs> um, I don't remember that. But if you remember that, uh, it sounds real. <laughs> um, I, I remember I remember it was such a big cultural moment, at least in our area, um, which is, you know, only just a couple hours out of San Diego. And I'm sure other places near SeaWorld parks were experiencing similar um, protests and um and outbursts around around the parks and there was a lot going on and so SeaWorld responded to the allegations um claims that the film did not accurately represent the changes that they made to their training procedures after John Brancho's death um and but they they said you know that they felt like they had been misrepresented but they still vowed at that at the time to stop breeding programs they would no longer breed whales in captivity and they vowed to expand the sizes of their tanks um the first did happen they have stopped breeding whales in captivity um the younger of the whales uh that they have in captivity now they, they had a whale that was pregnant at the time and they said these are the last babies that we're going to breed like have born in captivity and not do it again and they have done they have kept to their word on that. As far as the second, as far as expanding tank sizes, um, that I have not been able to find out if they actually did that. Um, there's a lot of claims online that says that they haven't. So, uh, and I haven't been able to find anything specific on if they did the work to expand the sizes of their tanks. But they have said that they have changed a lot of their procedures for trainers and for directly interacting with the orcas so um that's that's something um that is something and i mean, I, I i heard that like the whales weren't gonna be around anymore at some point that doesn't sound like what's happening well uh, so you can't just release whales raised in captivity into the wild that's right. not like a thing that you can do it's unsafe for the whales it's unsafe for any whale that they're going to come across in the wild, it's it, it's it's not a safe thing to do. So those babies that are born in captivity and don't know the ocean, it would be very unsafe for them to join the ocean. So sure, it's sure. not like you can just release all of these whales into the wild now. You can't, and whales live a really really long time. Um, claims there, there are claims out there that say, and, and they're still studying orcas and, um, it's a, it takes a lot of work and time to study, uh, marine life in their natural habitat. Um, but the estimation is that whales can live to be like 60 to 80 years old. Wow. So these baby whales that were born right around the time of blackfish coming out might still be around in the sea parks, in the sea world parks for, uh, another 60 years. That's um, incredible. Right. So if they are working on not having orcas in the parks anymore, it's going to take a very long time. Wow. Um, 
so so Blackfish comes out in 2013. Uh, in the following years, there have been some critiques of the documentary. It has been criticized for being emotionally manipulative um, and maybe not entirely true. Um, there's a lot of allegations made and a lot of um, a lot of things that are, say, word of mouth or a lot of like firsthand accounts that can't be proven with, you know, f- with footage. Um, so a lot of it is like not provably true to have happened. Um, a few trainers that were working there at the time and with that particular whale and with uh, Don Brenchow, um, a lot of those trainers claimed that their comments that they made to the documentary crew were misrepresented in context. Um, and the family of Don Brenchow um, says that neither they nor the foundation that they named after her were affiliated with the film at all and that they did not believe that it accurately reflected her or her experience. Um, that's a pretty big red flag for me. I'm not going to just outright say that like it's the whole thing that therefore is false. Um, but it's worth taking all accounts with a grain of salt. Right. Um, and so kind of the result in the, in the years since, um, in the nearly, I guess, almost 10 years since that documentary has been out, um, SeaWorld has seen some changes and some like, some consequences almost because of all of this. Um, they announced afterward that uh, in the 2013, 2014, like fiscal years, they lost about $15.9 million in revenue. The CEO claimed that um, they suffered that revenue uh, loss because their tickets um, were too expensive and the weather was really bad um, during some of their like normally high tourist times. Interesting. Um, and the profits fell for a couple of years, but eventually seemed to recover. Um, and despite claiming that the profits were because of uh, high ticket prices and poor weather, um, the investors in SeaWorld managed to sue the company and the CEO um, for misrepresenting profits and profit changes. Um, and they won that lawsuit. So it seemed that SeaWorld at the time was deliberately masking what was causing their profit loss um enough so that they want that the investors won the uh lawsuit so interesting yeah so they were claiming that blackfish had no impact on their ticket sales um but apparently were able to prove otherwise it seems pretty clear to me that if a documentary came out and was wildly successful and popular to the point that there was like famous graffiti about it at one point that the ticket sales would drop and that's a pretty clear correlation if not causation right right and but the the ceo claimed otherwise and was was the weather and was wrong (laughs) (laughs) um so also afterwards in the in the following years uh the state of california passed um a what they called the blackfish bill i don't i don't remember the exact uh title of the bill Um, But it uh, does prohibit uh, killer whale captivity, breeding and trade in the state of California. Which is a big deal because California is pretty big and is is one of the states in which SeaWorld operates. Right. And uh, yes, and the orcas uh, have a migration pattern um, from 
Alaska through the Pacific Northwest uh, down into parts of California. You can't see orcas maybe in San Diego normally, um, but they are they they they're in tanks in San Diego. <laughs> but um, yes, like it is um, it is illegal to um, to hunt or capture or breed. Um, uh, killer whales in California or to import illegal whales into California. So, and that was passed um, shortly after the documentary came out. So um, it seems yeah. like SeaWorld suffered financial consequences for this documentary film and that the laws changed because the documentary film moved public, you know, opinion on this and knowledge on this mm -hmm. to the point where California felt it had to pass a law. And one was passed. Right. So problem solved, maybe? Like <laughs> SeaWorld was punished and, you know, the the captivity of whales is now banned in a big populated state. Right. Um, and so you think and, and so at the time, like you said, you thought maybe that was the end of SeaWorld, right? Yeah. For for ten years now we've kind of thought, well, now SeaWorld doesn't matter because Blackfish happened. Um, and the fact is that uh, SeaWorld's not going anywhere. In fact, they're expanding. They're opening their new location next year. So did anything really anything really change? Did SeaWorld change? Did SeaWorld learn a lesson here? Well, if you're correct about the lifespan of these whales and they still have the whales in the, you know, in the theme parks and you can go and see them. And they're building these roller coasters and winning awards and attendance is healthy. And they're considered one of the big, good theme parks on both coasts. I mean, it certainly wasn't the end of SeaWorld, right? Right. And so maybe it was a, a big time of change for SeaWorld. But since this is the first time hearing about it, I think I need a little bit more information. Like... How is SeaWorld branding itself these days? Great question. <laughs> a fantastic question. So if you were to right now go on over to, I believe it's SeaWorld.com is their, uh, is their <laughs> main website. That makes sense. Um, SeaWorld.com will, the very first thing you'll see on their website um, is not about ticket prices. It's not about come visit us. The very first thing they mention is their conservation work. Um, the number stated on the homepage of the SeaWorld website claims that they have rescued over 40,000 different animals. Uh, they mentioned that stat in a lot of places, 40,000 different animals, which includes birds, mammals, whales, dolphins. Um, mammals do include um, like <laughs> like uh, sloths. I saw a picture of a sloth on their website. Yo. Um, <laughs> I know. Um, they have like a lot of, of creatures that they look after. Manatees are a huge work for them in Florida. Um, they are like heavily endangered. Um, SeaWorld does also claim to have had the very first set of green sea turtles hatched in captivity. Uh, they are also endangered animals. The green sea turtles, heavily endangered animals. Um, and so they were able to um, apparently be the first group to, um, to hatch some green sea turtles uh, theoretically maybe supporting the population and hopefully leading them towards being not endangered anymore um uh, a couple years ago they were able to successfully rehabilitate over the course of i think it was 14 months um rehabilitate and then re-release 
a gray whale, just a wow. massive creature. Yeah. Um, and so they were able, they took in an injured gray whale and rehabbed it and then was, and released it back into the wild fairly recently. And that was like a, like a big deal. Um, and they talk about it on their website a lot. They saved a porpoise population in the Sea of Cortez in Mexico. Um, and, and so apparently they do a lot of like really good, legitimate conservation work. Um, it, mostly around like endangered animals, like the turtles and the manatees. Um, which manatees are the best. I don't know if you knew this, but they're manatees literally are the, best. the best. Just absolutely wonderful. Completely so good. Completely good, kind, non-problematic animals. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, best. Not to say, like, on the other hand, too much to this whole thing, but kind of on the other hand, I mean, this is a major corporation representing itself when it right. says this stuff. Right. Like like with the other stats before, take it all with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that they do all uh, wonderful work. Uh, they've got a lot of videos of um, rescuing animals from oil spills. They got, you know, videos of them washing birds, you know, with Dawn dish soap like you're <laughs> supposed to. Um, very... Like Dawn very... does help nature cut through tough grease. <laughs> they use it for oil spills all the time, and you can see I, I, the videos no, it, of the beautiful birds. I agree birds. with you. That's 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 real. It's real, and you can watch these videos on their website. You can click through um, from the SeaWorld homepage. You can click to their conservation site. It's its own thing. You scroll down a little further, and there are the ticket prices. So you have to go through the conservation stuff first before you can fi figure out how to visit. Um, so they are putting this first in their public image. That's something they're really, really pushing. And, and like all of this work is really good. It's a really good thing overall. Rehabbing populations of endangered animals in captivity overall is probably a good thing. Um, work to keep populations from completely dying out. Zoos do it all the time. They've been trying to to keep the like white rhino and like great panda populations from completely dying out in zoos. And SeaWorld is trying to do this with green sea turtles and manatees and other endangered animals. Um, it's but it is the the conversation around um, rehabbing endangered species in any kind of captivity is really a delicate and controversial subject. Um, a lot of people have very powerful opinions on how this should be handled. Um, and people are tend to, I think, right now agree that maybe it should not be attempted with a whale that they call a killer whale. Um, pretty dangerous to be done. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, the the other conservation efforts are a positive thing. And when you go to, you know, other revered as responsible attractions like zoos and aquariums, their conservation efforts are also at the forefront, right? It seems to be this is kind of the way that we're getting around this uncomfortable idea that, you know, animals and nature are the attraction. We're like, oh, but it is for their good in some way. Where SeaWorld loses me a little bit is like, perhaps it should not be done with profit in mind. Right. Um, per perhaps you should be a nonprofit organization if this is actually your goal and proceeds could then more effectively make it to these animal populations instead of, you know, being backed by investors. So Absolutely. there are questions here that are still worth asking, but 
if it's good for nature, ultimately, perhaps there is some positive to come from it. Sure. Some may argue that all charity and all work like that is inherently non-altruistic. Um, that's a different conversation. Some some say that anything you do good for other people is uh, is always for the good of yourself. That's but... far too philosophical for our conversation, though not too <laughs> philosophical for this podcast. We'll just have to hold it for another day. We'll just ta- we'll do that another time. <laughs> um, but uh, the the fact of the matter is, well, say it again. Uh, do your research. Consider donating to conservation efforts that you trust. You, yes. the listener, think about it. Think about um, it. So that so that's what how SeaWorld is like branding themselves nowadays. That's where we are at for SeaWorld in 2022. Um, and so I thought maybe the next thing we could do is talk about like whether or not that is working for them. Um, as far as we're going to look at some cold hard numbers, we're going to talk about uh, visitors. We're going to talk about money that they're making. We're going to do. Um, we're going to see now, uh, is this rehab to their image working um, or is it not working and why? OK, uh, hit me with some of these good numbers you've got here. Great. So I looked at a series of lists um, that sorted theme parks uh, worldwide and then in North America specifically um, for attendance numbers. Um, so... None of the SeaWorld or Busch Gardens Park even breaches the top 25 theme parks worldwide. In terms of attendance. In terms of attendance, no individual park under this under this heading of SeaWorld Entertainment breaches the top 25 at all. Okay. Um, The number one. Uh, does belong to Magic Kingdom. Specifically, Magic Kingdom alone uh, is the number one theme park in, uh, worldwide. Um, I did know that, but reading the numbers specifically really made that stand out for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, it does yeah. track. We think of Disneyland as, like, the superior park, but look, <laughs> if you're going to Disney World, the Magic Kingdom is the one you're going to. Exactly. And the other ones are kind of side dishes to this legendary main course. But they are all... In the top 25. Of course. Um, so uh, in May 2018, the Themed Entertainment Association. Um, the TEA. The TEA. Hire us. Um, the, <laughs> T- <laughs> the TEA reported that SeaWorld Parks and Enter- Entertainment ranked ninth in the world for attendance among theme park companies. Um, so companies as a whole. So Disney lumped as one. Um, Cedar Fair lumped as one. Universal Studios, all their parks together lumped as one. Um, and so SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment, which includes all of the SeaWorlds, all of the Bush Gardens, and and their and their smaller parks as well, lumped all together ranks ninth in the world for attendance numbers. Um, with SeaWorld Orlando and Bush Gardens Tampa being their uh, their top two earners. So what um, you're saying is that like on an individual basis, these parks are not the most popular parks in the world or even nationally right Uh, but but that kind of as a package the story's a little different yeah as a package they are pretty powerful i mean ninth in the world however is still kind of low there's um a couple of chinese companies that make it into the the top 10 um there's uh you know they're they are well dwarfed by uh, Disney, Universal, Six Flags, like all of these, all of these companies are doing 
um, are doing better as far as attendance goes than the um, SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment Company. Um, but ninth in the world, I mean, of all the theme parks in the whole world, of all of the companies that exist, ninth is not bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. A pretty powerful uh, voice in the theme park world. Um, furthermore, my research shows that uh, in 2019, 4.6 million people went to the Orlando location, um, which was the 10th overall visited theme park uh, in North America that year. Um, you, I would like to uh, state here now that I'm going to use numbers from 2019 for a pretty good reason, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I think I understand why you might use 2019 numbers. <laughs> um, so uh, if you rank all of the uh, individual theme parks in North America, um, from most visited to least visited, um, uh, SeaWorld Orlando was the 10th overall visited. It's the very first non-Disney or Universal park to make the list. So the top nine are all by either Disney or Universal, um, which is, I think, staggering. Um, and Magic Kingdom alone claimed 20 million people visited in 2019. It's about six times as many people went to Magic Kingdom as went to SeaWorld Orlando. Yeah, I mean... Alice, you and I run a podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. Right. In a lot of ways, we are a Disney and, in parentheses, Universal Studios podcast. Right. With a nice, we, healthy sprinkling of Knott's Berry Farm on top. We, we always love to talk about Knott's Berry Farm. It's like the best theme park in the world. But <laughs> in all seriousness, it is hard to grapple with the idea that really in North America there are two major players that are doing the themed park thing and that coming in at a distant number 10 is SeaWorld. Right. I mean, that's that's good for SeaWorld. Like, you are competing just barely with the big guns, but even so, you are 10th. Right. Given all of their properties ranking above you. Right. Um, so, right. So it's not just that SeaWorld is like low on the list. It's that the list is stacked. There's yeah. a lot of theme parks on that list that just like smaller theme parks can't compete with. Um, for for uh, for posterity, uh, Knott's Berry Farm was ranked, I believe, 11th. Um, with uh, 4.2 million visitors. So, those are rookie numbers. We got to bump those numbers up. We got to bump up. those Not's numbers Berry up, Farm. guys. Hire us. <laughs> Hire us. We can do this. We can get you above. Not, we can get you into the top 10. We can give, get you above SeaWorld at least. Me and Alice can, got a lot of ideas. We can absolutely do that. We can do that. <laughs> and everybody that's listening needs to go to Knott's Berry Farm. Really, boost those numbers by the tens. <laughs> <laughs> by the tens. Tens of listeners will descend upon this theme park. <laughs> hey Knotts, uh, here's here's a freebie. This this is a first first recommendation free. Uh, and if you see the positive results, you see our tens of listeners. Uh, you know you could hire us to do, to do more of these. Um, but in all seriousness, I I am glad to have that Knotts number in my brain now. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's it's just good to know that Knotts is thriving. Right. Yes. Knotts is thriving. All theme parks are thriving. It does seem that 
Um, theme parks across the board, especially in uh, North America, all have been reporting increases in profits and visitors, recovering nicely from the pretty near universal shutdown of theme parks in 2020. Um in the last two years or so, SeaWorld has opened a new coaster in almost all of their theme parks. Uh, SeaWorld Orlando, Antonio, and San Diego, as well as Busch Gardens Tampa and Williamsburg, have all opened a new coaster in the last couple years, um, which has been driving massive returns to the park. People that want to visit the new coaster and people just are ready. They're ready. They're going out. People are visiting theme parks again. They've missed them for the last couple of years. And so there is um, record profit and increase for the um, SeaWorld brand. Um, it does seem to me, uh, reading all of these numbers, and I, and I read all of the profit sharing information from 2021 and from the first quarter, 2022, um, that it seems to me that... Um, the uh, merging Bush Gardens and SeaWorld under the SeaWorld name in the last decade or so seems to have saved both franchises. They are more powerful together than they ever were apart. And the move to more roller coasters seems to be doing the heavy lifting here. They, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from everything that I hear about SeaWorld Orlando specifically, it is foremost a place to hang out and go on roller coasters. I don't hear from fans of the park that it's about seeing the animals, necessarily. Yeah, it does seem to be that um, SeaWorld moving to be a little more coaster-heavy, a little more attractions-focused, and kind of pulling focus away from the orca shows... Um, seems to be doing a lot of work to not just get people to come visit, but to rehab their image in general. Um, another thing that's working um, is ticket prices. Oh, do so. Tell. Yeah. So a one day ticket to SeaWorld Orlando um, is $90, which that's is. Not a, that's not a small amount of money. It's, it's not, not a, a small it's not a cheap amount of money. Park. It's no, it's not a cheap park, but when compared to other theme parks in the area, I think you might uh, change your mind a little. Okay. Um, so $90 is not a not a cheap park. Um, I will also tell you that an annual pass to SeaWorld Orlando is only $130. I'm sorry, what? You can attend every single day of the year if you want to for $130. If I so choose, I can... I can live and work at SeaWorld Orlando <laughs> for 130 American dollars. That's that's a fact. It's um yeah, it seems to be buy a day and then upgrade for a little bit of money and get for a year about free. $40, about $40 you get the rest of the year. You get the rest of the year for free. Okay. Um I'll tell you somebody that did just do that but at the San Diego location, my little brother Really? My little brother and his girlfriend, despite the fact that they, we live two hours away from SeaWorld, they were like, what's $40 if we want to go visit even one more time this year? And that is that is the proposition, right? That's the mm -hmm. deal. It's like, oh, it's half the price of another day. Why not? Go well, ahead and yeah, sign Well, yeah, we certainly will visit one more time this year, they say. Even if you don't, it barely feels like you lost. Exactly. Um, so, so, yeah, comparatively, um, 
a Universal Orlando single day ticket is $109. Okay. It's about $20 more for a single day, but their annual pass is over $700. Okay, see, now I, I'm at SeaWorld already, right? Like... <laughs> Uh, this is this is the theme park I can afford to live and work at, where at Universal Orlando, this is going to cut into other costs that I might not be able to make up at that point, right? Right. right. Um, and to talk about Walt Disney World some more, um, also starts at about $109 for a single day, single park ticket. Um, and annual passes are such an expensive mess of reorganizing uh, that they are actually not available at the time of recording. <laughs> Yes, I, I have heard about this. <laughs> I just looked. Um, there is no Walt Di- passes to Walt Disney World available right now. There are no annual passes available. But when they were available, some of them got up to in the thousands of dollars yes. for annual passes. Um, with payment plans and whatnot, it's uh, you know some somewhat reasonable for some people. Um, if you want to, you know, pay month to month. I did. I had a, a year of an annual pass to Disneyland. Um, that I paid month to month and had a grand old time. Um, but, uh, I mean, but I look at those, I mean, look at the numbers. You can't compare if you are a family with children and you live in the Orlando area or you live in the San Diego area and you want to get everybody in your family an annual pass to some kind of theme park, just so you can go visit every once in a while without paying full price every single time. SeaWorld is extremely far more reasonable than pretty much any other option it's wild to me that it's the value in annual passes in orlando among among the major competitors right uh there there must be other ones that we're not thinking of or mentioning of course not being locals to orlando it's hard to know everything that's going on over there however this is this is apples to oranges. This is apples to super oranges that cost $400 a bite. Like we're, <laughs> we're talking about like a normal price for a pretty reasonable thing and a luxury item. Right. right. Um, and look, theme parks are always going to sort of be a luxury item. However, this is an accessibility thing. And no wonder SeaWorld is seeing pretty decent attendance. Right. Um, it also seems to be as far as um other maybe if you wanted to compare other theme parks or other amusement parks with similar price ranges maybe smaller um more local parks who if you wanted an annual pass to to something like that um SeaWorld also seems to be the most kid-friendly version of those options kids love marine life <laughs> the kids love whales and dolphins and seals and fishes and like my little niece loves an aquarium loves the aquarium so if we live near a sea world and i wanted to to be able to take her somewhere with me to get out of the house you know every once in a while i mean the answer would be sea world that would like a cheap pass for a little kid to just find somewhere to hang out and learn about animals what like why wouldn't you do it and while the entry is slightly more expensive than uh, a one-day entry to like the Monterey Bay Aquarium for example uh it is a really comparable amount of money for a annual pass uh I'm looking at the Monterey Bay Aquarium's uh website now and to become a member it's $95 annually for an individual 
for a family of up to four, uh, you can spend two hundred and fifty dollars. So that's that's pretty cool. That is actually pretty cool. And again, I do highly recommend the Monterey Bay Aquarium. It is a world class destination. Absolutely. But if this is your closest analog, it's right there with the membership to an actual aquarium in terms of price. And right. this one has roller coasters. <laughs> right. <laughs> and apparently really good ones, too, that people really like. And I love yeah. a coaster, but I hadn't been to SeaWorld in years. I didn't even know they had coasters, really. Right. Well, know. back in the times that we went, I don't think they did. Now I kind of want to find out, but I also kind of don't want to give my money to SeaWorld. Like, I don't uh, I don't this know. This is complicated. This, this is, is a complicated com- question. This is a complicated question. And this complicated question is going to kind of lead us into wrapping up this episode. Um, and I know this is among our less literary of episodes. This is more theme park and less literature, I think, for us. Um, but the conversation I wanted to have, the like thesis statement from the beginning was asking the question, like, why SeaWorld? Like, what is happening over there at SeaWorld? How are they successful? What are they doing in in the face of controversy to keep themselves afloat? And I guess what then could we learn about theme parks from SeaWorld? Um, And so I think I want to revisit the thesis statement. That I, that I made. And I have like a new version of the thesis statement. Well, that's quite literary of you, actually. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is um, the thesis statement was a, maybe a little bit more of a hypothesis. And this is the, the conclusion kind of that I've that I've come to. Um, I think ultimately um, SeaWorld remains competitive because uh, people want to believe in the conservation efforts and the good of the park. Um that that part is still true from my original thesis statement, but now I'm going to add um, one more thing. SeaWorld, the SeaWorld Parks and Enter- Entertainment parent company, um, seems to be just as, if not more adaptable than any other theme park company. The reputation of their park, it doesn't seem to bother them that much. And it almost seems like they're taking advantage of being... I want to I want to use the phrase low tier theme park company and low and low tier I can I can come back to. Um, but it seems like they're taking advantage of that of their place in the hierarchy of theme parks by keeping their annual passes and ticket prices really low, um, which is encouraging more visitors. And that it turns out that despite the greater conversations online about theme parks and about like who visit it visits and what are they doing there and what are people looking for in a theme park um those conversations are about every other theme park except for SeaWorld um and SeaWorld is managing to slow and steady maintain themselves into success they're not overreaching they're not trying to be Disneyland they have firmly maintained their own version of a theme park identity as, and I'll, yeah, now here I'm going to come back to, I say lower tier, not to be mean, not to, not to disparage SeaWorld. This is not a, a value judgment on how, like, oh, well, it's cheaper, therefore it's bad. I'm not saying that at all. 
But by keeping their prices low and keeping their reputation manageable, they are holding tight to their place as like the exact medium theme park. (laughs) (laughs) And that might be a good thing, I think. I think this is good. And when I pitched this thesis statement to my husband earlier, he said, wow, that sounds really judgy and mean about SeaWorld. And I'd like to return to a, a couple of, of like key phrases I used here that I think are positive things. Um, competitive, conservation, adaptable, low prices, <laughs> <laughs> maintenance. I think those are all positive attributes for SeaWorld that keeps them at a like an under the radar manageable place in theme park hierarchy and society. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've left this episode having less complicated feelings about SeaWorld than I already did. In fact, knowledge increases how complicated you feel about something (laughs) because you take that knowledge into account and try to weigh it all. And Oh no, this is kind of messy. Um, And SeaWorld, for me, still does feel kind of really messy. Uh, You know, not quite an aquarium, not quite a zoo, not quite a coaster park, not quite sure what's going on there. Haven't been to one in decades. Watching it from the sidelines, though, I think your conclusion is uh, pretty, pretty agreeable to me. I see a company that is in transition away from a thing that has been a controversial uh, kind of mark on them for a long time. And I see a company that is trying to fix its public image while also hedging its bets and just building roller coasters and being like, okay, you know what? We don't have to be an aquarium and a zoo. Like, we can be everything And I also see a very fair price, and I see the growth that that gets you. And so at the end of the day, what is the deal with SeaWorld? It's complicated. Uh, (laughs) And if we are trying to go a little bit of literary analysis with it, I think what I'm seeing here is not a bunch of bad guys cruelly keeping fish and whales in tanks that are too small for them. They're also not not those people. I also don't (laughs) not see that. (laughs) Uh, And so I see a entertainment company that is doing some legitimate conservation work while also simply saying, you know what? I'm good. I I don't need to do anything more than what I'm doing. And I think that's interesting. It's worth investigating. And I feel like now that we kind of know what the deal with SeaWorld is, SeaWorld might not be the thing we ignore on the show anymore. It might be something that we are able to delve into from here on out. And this strange hijacked episode that you've just (laughs) brought us through... Uh, it's more of a jumping off point than anything else. Like, I feel like I kind of understand SeaWorld now. And you've done brilliant research. Uh, and I'm sure we can share a lot of that research in the show notes so that people can see where we're coming from. 
but I value that you were able to kind of break it down, summarize the history, and then bring it around to a conclusion. This is a very interesting episode of this podcast, Alice. I am thankful for being along for the ride. Oh, well, thank you for participating. I don't think this episode would have been uh, nearly as interesting or as um, focused if I had just been reading my outline into a microphone. I'm glad you're here to help <laughs> me work through some of this because I am I am conflicted. I have a lot of really, really nice memories of SeaWorld. Um, we went a lot when I was a kid. When it was just me and my mom growing up, SeaWorld was one of the afford like always has been i guess one of the affordable places to be able to take a kid for a theme park day and for my 16th birthday i got a chance to do the swim with dolphins program in in SeaWorld. that is they, extremely cool yeah they gave me a SeaWorld branded wetsuit to climb into i got in the water and i got to pet the dolphins and learn about how their biology works i got to see them up close and touch them and even like ride one a little bit like hold on to his dorsal fin as he swam really fast and (laughs) and it was like a life-changing experience for me i'm not it didn't you know make me you know dedicate my life to marine biology or anything but it like introduced me to something like a like a really special experience that could be had with nature and like so up close and personal that you just really couldn't find anywhere else. And there are obvious ethical issues with something like that. So you look back on 15 years later and, and realize that maybe that wasn't like, that's not like the kindest way to treat the animals. Um, but I did learn a lot and I, and I did, really love and treasure that experience i still have a picture of me with the dolphin like on my fridge (laughs) um it's like a like a special thing that i got to that i got to have in SeaWorld. and so to learn you know later that like the marine life world uh, around like captive animals it has been fraught with controversy and and awful awful things for so many years um it's it's painful and it's it's a complicated thing to carry into the world um and to it's easy to get defensive about it like well i liked it therefore it's fine i I feel like was a a way a lot of people reacted to blackfish when it came out well i love SeaWorld, so i don't believe in this documentary or whatever and it's possible to for two things to be true at the same time It, it could be a an unethical way of treating animals and an unethical, dangerous job for people to have. And it could also be a special, important learning experience for a lot of young people at the same time. And to hold both of those things in your mind and carry them both in your heart is something I think that's, that, I don't know, I, th- I think something that I've been able to do especially now after I've done all of this research and and thought back really hard on all of the fun times that I had as a kid. My husband really liked SeaWorld too. That was one of the few theme parks that he went to growing up. He remembers very vividly learning about polar bears and penguins and all sorts of fun stuff. And, uh, and he's, you know, that kind of guy, he just loves learning. And so for, you know, a kid like him, that was really special and really important. And, I wouldn't want to take that away from him. 
Um, but it's uh, there's a balance to be found. And I'm not the one to do it. <laughs> I don't think we are the ones to do it. But I think that hearing hearing that there has been value in this conversation and in rediscovering your memories and in moving beyond them and learning. For me, that's the nature of like research in general. It is the ability to say, I have questions. I want to know more. I will accept conclusions. I will also compare the conclusions to what I know of myself, uh, especially literary research, which is a little less based in hard numbers and facts can be about asking yourself questions and saying like these conclusions are actually very complicated for me to hold <laughs> and to just say like okay that's tough you don't reject what you learn you just say this makes it tough and i think that can be enough uh and that that can lead us forward and i am looking forward to moving forward and to finding out more and saying is there a conclusive thing to say what the deal is with SeaWorld? Like, can we actually say the deal? Um, because if we can't, that's valid too. But perhaps there is a deal and it is worth continuing to seek. And that is... The seeking in itself is valuable as well. Yeah. Well, buddy. Well, seems- Alice, it sounds like our conversation. <laughs> oh, you thought I was just going to let you le- end the episode. Well, huh? Kind of. Kind of <laughs> all right. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like our conversation on SeaWorld and what its deal is has come to an end. But the conversation does continue online. Yes, the conversation always continues online. We would absolutely love to hear from you this this conversation maybe more than more than most is one that can and should be open to everybody to participate in i want to hear everybody's thoughts about SeaWorld and what's the deal with it <laughs> uh and you can always have that conversation with us on the internet yeah i'm always on twitter my twitter handle is at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. Yes, and I am on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Alice White THP for those happy places. And Alice, let's say somebody listening to this said, I want to hire those two, but I also just want to pay them to continue to do podcasts with my human money. Uh, is there a way <laughs> that person could theoretically do that? Sure. If you want to throw human money at us, you can do so on patreon.com slash those happy places. That is the place to go. If you would like to support us monetarily, we have a couple of tiers up. We have uh, a $1 and $5 tier available for different levels of contribution. No matter what you want to contribute you will always have access to our many bonus episodes and various bonus content um and if you want to support us with just a little more you have that option as well and we thank you all who have signed up for the patreon so much for all of your support through all of our (laughs) unplanned hiatuses our planned hiatuses um we just we appreciate all the love and support we get over there at patreon.com slash those happy places. 
Yes, thank you to all of our patrons. And if you're not able to support us monetarily at the moment, of course, the best thing you could do for the show is to share it with other people that you think might enjoy it. Because every new person who listens to the show is another chance to get our ideas about theme parks, why they matter, how they're like literature out there into the world, and to just have more people involved in the conversation, which is in many ways the goal here, right? So. Uh, thank you to everybody supporting us with uh, their Patreon money, but thank you to anybody who shares the show with the world. Yes, thank you so much. We we love and appreciate all of you no matter what. Before we get into talking about the uh, the music for the show, um, speaking of the of the Patreon and speaking about uh, planned hiatuses, um, we are going to be taking a little break after this. Yes, uh, for at least a few weeks as of the release of this episode, there will be no more of those happy places in your feeds. We are sorry, but we are be about to become extremely busy. And so we have restructured our release schedule. Um, instead of trying to put out an episode every other week all year long, we will be taking a planned break for a couple of months. Uh, we will be back soon with a brand new miniseries. Yes, we're calling it the Those Happy Places Summer School Series, Theme Parks 100. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a really interesting uh, kind of back-to-basics miniseries. I'm really excited about this, actually. Yeah, this uh, is going to be really fun. Uh, and that does mean that this episode is the conclusion of the mini-season that we are calling uh, phase one of season three of Those Happy Places, <laughs> uh, which is quite the achievement, actually. Yeah, this was really fun. Other than the one accidentally skipped week uh, last week, thank you all uh, for, for putting up with that. We, uh, I did find myself unexpectedly out of the country. Um, so we missed just one week, but we were able to put out all of these episodes in a row consistently. Um, I'd say our most consistent release schedule since we started the show. Um, it, that is worth celebrating. And it, congratulations <laughs> to us because it is not as if this was the easiest time in either of our lives. And we made this thing happen. Yes. Yes, we did. And it was really <laughs> it was really fun to do. And I'm really glad that we uh, that we got to it. Um, so so thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you in a, in a few weeks. Now, there is one more group of people that we need to thank. And oh, yeah? that is the artists that have provided the music for this episode. Oh, yes. And where would we have found said music for the show, buddy? Well, all of the music that you heard throughout this episode came from Kevin McLeod. His music is, in, is available on Incompetech.com under a Creative Commons 4.0 Attributions License, which simply requires that we say thank you to Kevin and direct you to the show notes for all of the copyright information, because we're using this music for free, and that's good. Yes, yes, it is good, and it's, and it's beautiful music, and thank you so much, Kevin, um, for all that you do. And speaking of music, though, I hear another song ramping up in the background. A really that, good song. Even. Yeah, that, that really good song is 
Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin? Absolutely it is. And you can find this and many more tracks by the Feet Warmers on their website, thecaliforniafeetwarmers.com. Alice, it has been a joy to put together this mini-season arc with you. Uh, And I really loved this last episode. Uh, The research you've done is incredible, and I can't wait to share it with the world. Thank you for having this conversation with me. No, thank you for having this conversation with me. It's been on my mind for so long, and I'm really glad I finally got to get it out there. Um, And I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places.